I'm mindful that some of you uh, dealt with a little bit of technical difficulty a short while ago, and I want to say thank you so much for your patience. I wish all of the problems of our time were as easy as rebooting the uh, live stream service that we accomplish, (laughs) Uh, but I'm glad that you can still stay with us today and hope that um, your patience will be, have worth the effort. Uh, I want to talk with you today about the uh, unusual times that we're living in. I want to try and address from the perspective of God's word uh, some of the issues of this present moment. And I will confess to you that I was, as I was thinking about this and trying to reflect on what would be most useful to everyone, I went through a number of scenarios in my head. Uh, There was a part of me that thought I should try and tie up in neat little theological bows all of the uh, troubles and challenges of our time. Uh, I decided to discard that idea because it's been my experience and I think actually the testimony of the Bible that life is sometimes just messy and mysterious. And having uh, all of the answers, so to speak, especially pat ones, is not anywhere near as useful to us in these moments as being reminded of who is holding us uh, in the midst of the storm. And uh, I just want to encourage you to remember who it is that's holding you. And I'll come back next week and talk even more deeply about that reality. But please know that you are not forsaken in the midst of these times. Um, I also thought about the possibility of trying to to give you a a handy little list of sort of seven seven habits of highly effective Christians during this season. And uh, try and offer some practical guidance on what you ought to be going out there to do during this time. And I, and I decided not to go that direction either, uh, largely because I'd probably give you too long a list and you'd forget it by this afternoon. And challenges, chances are you're gonna be able to find uh, resources like that online for yourself. And we'll be posting more than a few of them on our website in the days to come. What I decided to do today was to try and go a little bit deeper and a little bit simpler on one particular focus. Uh, I want to think with you today about one of the big ideas that uh, God presents to us in the words that Jesus speaks from the cross. In fact, it sort of blew me away this week as I was reflecting on preparing for this moment how the, the text that we had selected for today in John chapter 19 uh, raises up a point of view that is enormously timely uh, at this moment in our country's life and our own particular lives. Um, and so I want to also say that the following week we'll hit another theme and the week after that we'll hit another important theme until you are sick and tired of me and you've tuned to some other station. Please don't. Um, The good news I want to share with you is that um, it's not going to be my story that's the center of this this, uh, conversation. Uh, In fact, my story and your story are going to find their place as we see the larger story that God is trying to point us towards in this time. You may recall that when we left Jesus last, he was hanging on the cross. Uh, He had been there for a little while. He had had enough time to speak out two words or two utterances, two bold statements that have lived on through history and been an encouragement to many over time. He had just uh, uh, begged his father in heaven to forgive the very people that were crucifying him because they didn't know fully what they were doing. 
He had uh, offered an assurance to a thief on the cross, a repentant sinner, that this very day he would be with him in paradise, that in spite of all that he had done, that there was still hope, God's redemptive power could work for him. And then Jesus makes this next statement from the cross. Uh, He speaks these words as he's dying that show us how to really live in our times. And I invite you to listen with me to John chapter 19 as I pick it up at verse 25. You might want to open up in your own Bibles uh, to that text. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son. And then to the disciple, he said, here is your mother. And from that time on, the scriptures tell us, this disciple, in fact, the writer of the gospel himself, this disciple took her into his home. Would that everyone had someone that would do that. When Chicago police officer Patricia Warner entered the home at 219 North Keystone Avenue, she could hardly believe her eyes. She and her partner had been called to address incidents before. She'd seen a lot already in her career. But as they came to investigate what she thought was just a routine report that drugs were being sold there, she found something that absolutely blew her categories. The apartment, as she walked in, immediately assaulted her. It was reeking with the smell of urine and rotting food. There were dirty dishes piled high in the sink and stacked up on the floor all around. And as cockroaches scurried for cover, the officers began this astonished, horrified walk through this particular apartment. They had to skirt dog feces. They were stepping over garbage and soiled clothing that seemed to be everywhere. And even more shocking than all of this filth were the children that they found in the place. 19 children to be exact. 19 kids, the oldest of which was nine years old and the rest even younger. They saw a two- and three-year-old huddling over next to a radiator that was giving almost no heat off in the midst of this chilly winter day. They found the kids eating meat off of of what looked like a neck bone of some kind of creature, and they were feeding that, sharing their food with the dog. While two men slept in the apartment, one of them in a bedroom all by himself, the rest of the children, including a four-year-old with cerebral palsy, were there in the midst of this other room, crowded onto badly soiled mattresses that were sprawled on the grimy floor. There were signs of physical abuse, of beatings, of cigarette burns on each one of the kids. And as Officer Warner tried to prepare to take the children to a shelter, they discovered there was only one toy amongst all 19 of these kids. 
and barely enough clothes to go around. As the officer bent over to assist one of the children, the little girl looked up through her hungry eyes and she said, will you be my mommy? I want to go home with you. I wonder how many people there are in our time that are searching for a better kind of home. It's hard to believe a scenario like this. It's hard to believe the conditions that would prompt a request like that little girl's. And yet, the reality, I think, is that in a world separated from God and sickened to the soul with sin, scenarios like we're describing are not altogether uncommon. They exist in far more places than we might like to even contemplate. And even when the circumstances are nowhere near as extreme as the ones that I've just described in this case, the truth is that there are actually thousands, maybe millions of people around the world, even around our communities, who are desperately hungry and thirsty for care, for companionship, for a connection that their family of origin does not provide, cannot provide, will not provide. Sometimes families cannot give people the nurture they want because they are just too messed up. Some of us come from families like this. Sometimes they can't offer us the compassion and connection that we need because they're just too broken up. I know what that's like. Other times they, they, they can't do it, and I would say this is the increasing phenomenon because they are simply so filled up. Families so jam-packed to overflowing with stuff and things and schedules and activities. We live in a world that is more and more glutted with information and objects and services and family members find themselves passing in the night, often sometimes even in the same room and not connecting with each other. They don't play together. They don't work alongside of each other the way that earlier generations may have. And we often don't even meet our neighbors. <laughs> they live so close to us, but we don't meet them because in our affluence, we don't need them. We don't need what they might have to offer to us, it would seem. As the society and the economy grows more and more mobile, uh, kinfolk don't stay in one place. They move away to other locations. They don't see each other as often. And as we grow older, sometimes even the relatives that live nearby to us don't bother with us much. I read a study recently that said something like 50% of the people living in nursing homes today, think of those people most at risk in our society today, 50% of those people don't receive even one visit a year from a family member or anyone else. And 50% of those people, I'm told, have relatives, blood relatives, living within an hour's drive from them. Some time ago, a, a businesswoman uh, looked at this particular circumstance. Uh, she, her name was uh, Satsuki Ohiwa, and she noticed that the older adults in her Japanese community were increasingly isolated from their own children by the frantic pace of modern life. And so Ohiwa got this idea. She set up this company where a lonely person could actually rent a family for a little while. I know it sounds crazy. It seems unbelievable. But this was a successful business venture. 
for only $1,130 plus transportation expenses, a surrogate son, daughter, or grandchild, whatever kind of relative you ask for, will show up your door and will gush as if they haven't seen you in years. And then they'll come on in and they'll share lunch with you and they'll talk with you and they'll handle an odd job if you need that being done and then they will bid you the best of days and go cheerily out the door and when asked why she believed that her business was booming, O'Hira said this, what is common about our clients is that they are thirsty for love. They are so thirsty for some kind of love I think more people are than we get around to discussing. I think that the way that our world has been going for many, many years now has left many of us with a creeping loneliness, with a vague sense of alienation, with a longing for belonging that we don't often name to ourselves, much less confess to the people around us. And then along comes the COVID-19. Along comes the coronavirus. And and if things could get worse, they suddenly do apparently get worse. Now we can't even touch each other casually in passing. Now we, we were supposed to keep the social distance and should be keeping a social distance from one another. Now we must no longer meet together, at least not in large groups. And at one level and for a season, of course, it is vital that we respect that. It is critical that we bring down the pace of this infection so our healthcare system is not overwhelmed and the people who most need help, and it will be a small percentage of us, but we will desperately in that percentage need help and it's critical that all of us own that and do what we can to make sure the help, that help can come. But in the midst of all of this, in the midst of what feels to me, at least to me, maybe to you, like sort of a scene out of some kind of apocalyptic end of the world story where, where the aliens have come, they've landed, you've heard that they're destroying cities and places far away from you and you don't know if the person that you're looking at might actually be secretly carrying the alien inside of them and so you're, you're cautious. In the midst of all of this apocalyptic isolation, I am daring to pray that things are gonna tip. I'm daring to hope that something that has needed tipping for a long time will start to turn paradoxically the more we get pushed away from each other. I pray that somehow this season is going to remind us of a reality that our racial hostilities and our political enmities and our history-making affluence have kept us from fully seeing. I am hoping we're gonna wake up at a deeper level than before to how much we desperately need each other. How much we need the multiplicity and the diversity of opinions and gifts and personalities that God has put into this world. How much I pray that we will come to see that we were made for community and not for quarantine. That we have been created and called to help and to heal 
and to, and to help find homes for one another, that we were not meant to hunker in our bunkers, to vibe with our own tribe forever, that we're made to reach out and be connected, that we were designed for a wonderful web of mutuality. I'm praying that that tips for us somehow in the midst of these times. I am also convinced that this is the direction God wants us to go. I think this is actually the direction that Jesus is pointing us to in the conversation he has from the cross that we're studying today. Dear woman, says Jesus to the mother that bore him, here is thy son, here is your son. And then gazing at his beloved disciple, his best friend, John, Jesus says, son, here is, and, and some translations read, behold, behold your mother. Now I was thinking about this passage this week and I was thinking maybe, maybe this is just an isolated conversation. Maybe this is, is just Christ's prescription for two particular people at one moment in time. But when I think about the other words that Jesus speaks from the cross and how global is their import, when I think of the way that Jesus teaches us to move beyond boundaries and bar barriers in creative ways to reach out to a broader kind of family, the more I'm convinced that these words from the cross are actually challenging us all to live in a fresh kind of way. I'm convinced that what Jesus is doing and has done through the church is to forge a whole new kind of family, larger than the family of origin, and able to supply things that families of origin often are not able to. And I'm struck as I read through the scriptures that there are several particular characteristics to this kind of new family that Jesus is trying to build. And the first of those, of those characteristics, it has to do with how one becomes part of it. Entrance into God's family is not on the basis of our physical birth. It's not on the basis of our physical bloodline, in a sense. It's on the basis of a spiritual adoption, the scriptures tell us. In other words, Mary and John in this particular narrative, or you and I for that matter, do not become family to each other because we share a physical bloodline, but because we share the blood of Christ. We share, we've been washed in, we've been connected to the life of Christ. And that now has changed something for us and bound us together in an amazing way. And Christ's words from the cross actually tell us how this works. In his first words from the cross, Jesus tells us that God is open to forgiving people, not because they're so good, not because they're so bright, not because they're so healthy in a sense, but precisely because, like those people at the foot of the cross, jeering at Jesus, like those asymptomatic people who are carrying the virus and passing it along to other people without knowing it, we too are carrying a sickness and we know not what we do. The compassion of God for us is there because we know not what we do. The second words from the cross are also instructive for us because 
These words, as you may recall, spoken to the thief on the cross who was penitent, tell us that that the hand of God will reach out to anyone no matter what their past has been, no matter how sick they have been, no matter how much of a miserable sinner they have been over the course of their lives, God reaches out to them so long as they're willing to say, I give up, I know I'm sick, I can't heal myself, wash me and heal me, Lord. Do what only you can do for me, Lord. This is how we become adopted into the family. The Apostle John eventually summed up the truth in these particular terms in one of his letters. He said, to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right, Jesus gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of a human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Anyone can be adopted into this amazing family. Have you been born into God's family? Have you woken up enough to the sin sickness in your life that you've recognized you need his heal, healing power? You need grace from beyond yourself. If that's happened and you've asked him to wash you in the blood of Christ and to renew your life, then, then things will begin to change from there for you. And that's important to, to recognize because it's the second characteristic of this new family. We will increasingly take after our father. As we're taken into his household, we're gonna increasingly rub up against God and the experience of his character will start to alter our character. We're gonna start to display more forbearance towards those people out there who know not what they do like God does. We're gonna start to become more willing to give a second chance, even to miserable, sin-sick sinners, people who are doing terrible things, we're often going to be willing to give them a new chance, especially if they're demonstrating some kind of humility and penitence about what they've done. The question I have is, are you taking after your heavenly Father in these ways? Do the people, the imperfect people around you meet a forbearance in you, a, an outgoing grace in you that shows them your family resemblance, that shows you that you're like your father? Is that the witness of your life? Are you known for your amazing grace? Some of you are probably thinking to yourself, I don't even want that. I want to keep walled off from as many people as I can right now. I want to shut down uh, as many of the interactions as I possibly can to protect myself. Okay, do that as long as you need to. Others of you are probably thinking to yourself, you know, I'd like to do that. I'd like to treat people in the way that Jesus describes and models. I keep praying for this ability to feel like extending more kindness and patience towards other people, and I get that too. I understand that too, but here's something critical to understand, and it's the final characteristic of this new kind of family that Jesus is trying to form. Natural affections in God's family, natural affections are far less important than obedience 
to Christ's command. The actions of the people in God's family are informed far less by how they're feeling than by what Jesus is saying, what he's calling them to actually do. I noticed in the story here, at no point does Jesus say to Mary and John, hey, would the two of you like to buddy up? Would you, would you all like to be roommates? Would that seem like a good deal to you? The scriptures give us absolutely no indication that there was any sort of natural simpatico between Mary and, and John. We have no clue that they were of the same generation or that they liked the same kind of food or enjoyed the same sort of music or activities or shared the same sorts of political views. There's nothing to suggest that there was any kind of natural affection that would have made them choose to bond their lives to each other. There was one thing alone that did it. They obeyed the call of Jesus to bind their lives one to the other. And tradition records that John and Mary went and made their home with one another in the city of Ephesus in ancient Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. You know, this is meant to be true in the church as a whole. Uh, this, this pattern is meant to play itself out in our community also. Each of us, of course, has certain people with whom we naturally connect. The ones we, uh, we call or text when we're feeling the pressure of these days. Uh, these are the people that we find it easy to get along with. But what makes the Christian community different from other confederations of people is that here in this circle, we make a commitment to being companions with and caregivers for and with one another, whether our natural affections run strong or not. Why do we do that? Because Jesus asked us to. Do you know what Jesus asked us to do towards each other? I, I was curious about that and I went through the scriptures and I looked at all of the places in which Jesus or one of his apostles in the New Testament gave specific directions to how we were to treat one another. I looked for the passages that ended with one another or each other and I found some very clear marching orders for us. The scriptures say that we are to pray for one another. And if you're wondering what it is you can do constructively in our era, I would say pray for the other people of your church family. Pray for the, the people that are out there trying to combat this illness or feeling the stress or at risk. Make prayer a more important part of your life. We'll supply some more resources for that through our website in days to come. We're also told to care for one another, and to bear one another's burdens, to feel what each of us is trying to lift, to get alongside of those concerns enough that we're able to get a shoulder under those pressures with the people. Do you know what it is that's most worrying? The people in your church family even in the family that meets in your home, do you know what it is that's on their minds and how you could help to get underneath that weight? We're called to encourage and build one another up, to speak about the good we see and the hope and the possibilities we see in each other. We're called also to admonish one another because sometimes love means ch choke-chaining and giving a swift kick to and challenging each other towards an even better outcome for one another's life. 
there are people out there who are not taking seriously what's going on in the health situation today. They need to be admonished that these are different times and for this season we need to change our patterns. And then we're told that we're to spur one another on towards love and good deeds. We're to remind each other that there's no season of life in which we can't be active in being salt and light and help uh, to people around us. And above all, we are to love one another. I want to invite you to just take a moment and to sit with that list. And if you can't remember it, even after this day, go back and grab the manuscript of this message online and read through those one another's again or do the study yourself in the New Testament. And ask yourself, which of those particular instructions do I sense Jesus might be calling me to especially take seriously in this time? Which of these practices could I be exercising even more obediently towards the church family, including the ones that meet in your home? Uh, Someone, I submit to you, around you is looking for a caring family. Someone is hungering and thirsting, maybe not as desperately as those children in that awful apartment I described earlier, but desperately nonetheless. Around you in the world today, in your church, in your community, in your workplace, is somebody who would consider themselves deeply blessed to actually have a spiritual mother or father in their life, an encouraging uh, parental influence that brought love and, and some of these one another patterns towards them. Near you is somebody in your, uh, in your life whose family of origin is, is far away or is messed up or is broken up and, and they would cherish having you as their spiritual brother or sister. There are spiritual grandparents who are waiting to be discovered and there are spiritual grandchildren that are nearer to you than you've realized. I know we're being quarantined right now and and we're not meant to participate in large groups. But that doesn't mean we can't connect in small groups, that we can't huddle with people in our homes, that we can't, in the days to come, gather together in in appropriately distant circles of community and, and pray for each other and support each other during these times. It doesn't mean that we can't actually build a relationship with one other person who needs some of the care that I've been describing. In fact, if you contact the church, Uh, this week ahead or in the coming weeks, we will purposely connect you with one of those at-risk older persons in our wider congregation who are alone right now. And you can build a relationship even on the phone with them or maybe go and visit with them and offer encouragement if they let you in to that particular place. Maybe the phone is the most powerful form of outreach at that time. Guess what I'm trying to say to you is that as God has said to you and me, I adopt you, we need to ask, who could we speak to and say, behold, I am your family member and you are mine. Long ago, when my own family of origin uh, was broken up, some followers of Jesus said that to me. They effectively came to me and said, we'll be family to you. And their willingness to do that opened my heart at age 18 to Jesus Christ for the very first time. A few years later, I was living outside of this country. I was literally thousands of miles away from anybody that I knew. And a small group of followers of Jesus put their arms around me 
included me, invited me into their circle, and I fell in love with the church of Jesus Christ. And my experience of the one another's in that context made me want to advance that movement as far as I could for as long as I lived on this planet. You know, you can help somebody else have something of that sort of experience. Don't do this because I said so. Don't do this because it's the fashion of the moment. Do this because even as he was dying, Jesus called us to this in order to show us what it means to really live. If ever there was a time when people who heeded that call was a, were especially needed, I want to say it's now. Because even before COVID-19 struck us, too many people were living quarantined lives. Too many people were living separated from others, isolated, lonely, fearful, suspicious, divided. The answer to this quarantine culture of ours is genuine community. And we have an enormous opportunity right now to begin to live into it, to express that we have the eyes of Jesus for other people. In his letters to the churches long ago at Ephesus and Galatia, the Apostle Paul summed up this vision of Jesus as he penned these words with which I'd like to close us today. He said, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who destined us for adoption as his children. So then, we are no longer strangers and aliens, but we are fellow members now of the household of God. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let's do good to all people, and especially to the family of believers. Thanks for opening your heart to God's calling today, to the words of Jesus from the cross. Would you join me as we bow our heads now and come before him in prayer? Lord, we come together today just one step closer to your cross. And we recall your testimony that your mother and brothers and tho are those who hear your words and put them into practice. And so, Lord, we ask for the ability. We ask you to move us to put your words into practice. Move us beyond our fears and our politics, beyond our suspicions, our distractions, our delusions. Move us to see the family around us, to forge a family in these times, and to truly and wisely and practically reach out to love one another. For it is in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, we pray. And all God's people said, Amen.